0: Morning again. I've since another sermon series coming on. It would be a ways off, but a year or two from now, the Bob Wow series going through the Old Testament, what we can learn. Um, I would modify it, Bob Wow, Bow Wow, as we look at different places in our Christian walk. But uh, hey. That should be fun. We'll see what that we'll see what that turns into. Maybe nothing. Maybe it ends up on the cutting room floor. Maybe, maybe something. We don't we don't know. Well, uh, if 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 not to beat a dead horse, certainly flog one that is in more danger of losing its life. Um, yeah, there were some good parts and some bad parts about this weekend. Um, one bad part in particular um, was uh you know, a sporting event that I cherish. I think it's a lot of fun. Um and we were in Michigan, which was doubly fun, uh being in enemy territory, as it were. Um and there but there's multiple times. I, I and if you're anything like me, you watch a game like that or watch any game, and you think to yourself you know, with all the different parts and pieces and players that are running around, you think, you just do your job, right? Just do your job. You don't have to worry about everybody else's job. You, you just do your job. That's it. You know, you don't, to, you don't have to be concerned about this or that so long as you're doing your job to the very best of your ability. I gave up on the arthritis pen, by the way. I'm going back to normal. Um, you, you, just, you just worry about your job, and you don't have to be concerned about the others. Do your very best, the responsibility that you've been given. And those are the things, I think, really, we need to be thinking about when we talk about a family, when we talk about a church, when we talk about the job that you do uh, in life. I mean, all these things you are given, you're offered, you have the opportunity for certain responsibilities. And you get the chance to do that to the very best of your ability. Every time you do, it helps out someone else help someone beside you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you once again for the love that you've given us. We thank you, Father, for the challenges that you lay before us. We thank you for watching over us. We thank you for your, your interaction in our lives, and sometimes we notice it and we see it. Sometimes we don't, Father, and, 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 but we know that you work in our lives, and so we thank you for it. Father, it is our, our goal Certainly, over the past things that we 've been talking about, when it comes to your church, for us to grow, to become what we are supposed to be, to be reminded of what we 're supposed to be. I thank you, Father, for that opportunity that you lead us through in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. well, I have personally i've enjoyed this series um, on the church. This will be our last one before we go into our Christmas series, and i 'm going to pick on her a little bit because she picks on me. Uh, Ashley is very good at telling me, you know, giving feedback on sermons and so forth. And she said the other day, she said, I really liked that crazy series that you did. That was John Young special, by the way. I really liked that crazy series that you did. And I said, well, thank you. The conversation went something like this. And uh, I said, what about the current series? She said, I really liked that crazy series that you did. <laughs> That was her sweet way. But, hey, look, the fact of the matter is sometimes some of this stuff does get a little monotonous, a little dry. Now, just because some of the things are the meat and potatoes doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about them. doesn't mean we shouldn't go over these things. I'll tell you, a, a message, a series on the structure and purpose of the church needs to happen all the time. Once a year or once every two years or three years. I mean, there's a lot of people that have a wrong picture. It's just plain old wrong. Of what the picture is, or what the church is, or what the church ought to be. And so we need to be reminded of these things, and see them, see them through the Word of God. Today we continue with, again, really the meat and potatoes, some specifics on the church itself. And we've asked and answered a lot of questions throughout this series. The, the, well, you know, what is the church? Or who is the church? Where is the church? When is the church? When do you do church? Uh, how do you do these things? Our purpose in life. I mean, just wonderful questions that we need to know. I'm going to tell you something. You need to know this. If you're going to call yourself the church, there are things you need to roll around and meditate on in your mind to make sure you have a proper perspective of the life you're supposed to live. And so we went through some of those things. Today we get to the last part. We get into some of the specifics about the church body here at Rushavania, the structure, but also some more uh, uh, responsibilities for you and for me. We're going to come back to Ephesians chapter 4 a couple of times during this, uh, during this message. And so you could turn there if you like. But as we've been doing this series, we've been going to a lot of different verses and a lot of different passages, and so these things will be on your screen as well. As we begin, I want to give you just a brief, very brief uh, history lesson uh, or a reminder for some of these things in life. The church is structured a certain way, and this particular part of the body has been deliberately or is deliberately structured After the manner and order we see in the New Testament, in fact, it's the same manner and order that the eldership, as they look through, as they read through the New Testament, they say, look, this is the way this has been constructed and structured, this type of of polity in our church body. And so, it's very important to have it structured a certain way. Back in uh, the early 1500s, 1517, you've probably heard this before, German monk by the name of Martin Luther protested how and why the, the Catholic church was carrying out the responsibilities of the church. Uh, and, and, and it's through this protesting, this is where you get the term Protestant, right, Protestant church, and it's through this protestation that he was attempting to reform the church, to reform the church. That's how you get Reformation, the Reformation or the Grand or Great Reformation. And from that Reformation that, that took over Europe and just to kind of took over areas of the world, from that Reformation came a number of different parts of the body. We, we know them maybe as denominations, right? Uh, just, just different ways of worshiping and, and different ways of, of, of coming together and how uh, they, they express that part of the body of Jesus Christ. Fast forward 275 years later, it's now 1792, and it's, it, well, it's really kind of hard to pinpoint the actual beginning of what we call the restoration movement because it wasn't started by one person. It was started by a group, a bunch of different churches everywhere in this young United States. Many of these church leaders basically looked at the Reformation and they said to themselves, hey, look, we've come a long way with the churches and the church bodies and the different groups and the different people all serving Jesus Christ. We've come a long way since the Reformation, but but we're not quite there yet. We're just not quite there. You see, we, we really need to restore the church back to this form and structure and polity that we see in the New Testament letters. And so that's what this group of people try to do, to restore the church. And that restoration movement, not Reformation, that restoration movement, movement lasted actually quite a long time. From the restoration movement came the churches of Christ, disciples of Christ, and Christian churches. And this particular part of the body, we've already talked about that, showed up about 50 years after the beginning of the restoration movement. And again, from there came how we structure the body here in Rushylvania, going back to Scripture, how it was then, and that's how we structure it now. And by the way, not everybody agrees with this. You may not agree with this. That's okay. Hey, guess what? You love Jesus. I love Jesus. We don't agree on everything. We already learned that, right? You might not agree with some of the ways in which these things are structured. And to that person, I would I genuinely, heartfelt, I would say three things. Number one, remember. Number one, you start here. I disagree with you. You disagree with me. Let's start right here. Remember, we are being sanctified, right? We are growing in our knowledge and our understanding. And so you and I are growing, and we're learning off of one another, we're growing at different rates, we're giving our lives more and more over to Jesus Christ at different rates, we are coming to understand scripture and know it and you know all of this stuff, we are in the process. And so anytime you have two people in a process, one here and one here, both going through the process, there's going to be moments where it's hard for them to see eye to eye and they disagree just a little bit. The point is that you give your life to Jesus, right? You take this life and you give it over to Jesus Christ. You say, you are my King, my Savior, my Lord. What I have is yours. You take this. That's the point. And then he begins, and our, our Bob Wow thing, uh, you know, John was talking about, <laughs> begins to move us move us through this. That's the first thing I would say. Remember, we are being sanctified. Second thing I would say is learn. Learn. Let's you and I sit down and go through, walk through the history of the church, ecclesiology, right? The study of the church. And we sit down and we walk through this. Somebody comes up to me and says, hey, I disagree with this. I, like, like the last thing in the world is to just ignore that. First thing to do is say, hey, let's sit down. Let's talk about it, right? Let's learn from one another. Let's learn from Scripture. I would love to. if someone say, hey, tell me the whole story of the restoration. You know, that that's, took me, what, eight hours a week for 12 weeks nonstop learning that. Uh, so you and I, we can hook up for a long time. We can say, lock the door. Here we are. Let's go. Uh, we could talk about all this, but if you want to, I encourage you to do those things. So, if I disagree, first of all, I'm being sanctified. Second of all, uh, we need to learn together. And then after we have done all of those things, if we still disagree, we live in a day and an age with ease of transportation and communication, don't we? And so, I say to you, look, you know, this Bob down the street's got, you know, their church meets, and I mean, they're, they're, it's right up your alley. Why don't you worship with them as well? I don't want you to come in here and hate the fact that you're here all day long. You know, so you get to worship with another part of the body if through all of these first steps we still can't see eye to eye. I would encourage you to take those steps in your own mind if there is in some way a way that you disagree with the structure of the body. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 starting in verse 10. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. He's talking about Jesus Christ here. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. How do we structure the body? First of all, we've talked about this from the very beginning. Jesus is the head of the body. Make no mistake about that. It in you, it in me, it isn't the squeakiest wheel, it is Jesus. He is the head of the body, he's the boss. And so there's things Jesus tells me that frankly I go to Jesus and I say, look, I don't really want to do that. That's actually quite hard. That's going to make my life difficult. Jesus says, do I look like I care? This is what I want you to say. This is where you need to go. This is how you need to act and react. Jesus is the boss, laying out His direction and His decrees in His Word. We talked about this last week. If you don't know the Word, if you don't want to read the Word, then we don't know His direction and His decrees. He usually lays these out through the epistles, that is, through the letters in the New Testament. Paul wrote a bunch of those, but there are others that wrote those as well. God speaking through His servant. And it also comes through His direct revelation. We see Jesus talking to churches in the revelation of Christ. He sets up the way it looks, the way it's structured through these things. And then Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, God the Holy Spirit working in His church, He begins to appoint. He begins to to give people an opportunity to serve and work inside the church. Different parts of the body to fill different roles in the body. Uh, You know, we're reminded of the things they were doing in the second chapter of Acts. Now, this won't be on your screen, but as the church met and they came together, they had a time of teaching, that is you and I learning from one another, fellowship, that is spending time together and spending life together, the breaking of bread, that is thanksgiving, remembrance and proclamation, and also a time of prayer, intercession and worship, this is the types of things that the church was structured to do on a regular basis. And so if Jesus is the head, if he's the boss, where does it go from there? How do we, how do we end up on a daily basis being the church and doing the church? Well, first of all, there are elders in the church. Elders in the church. Now, elders are specifically chosen, especially chosen by God. Elders teach and are appointed by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to do a lot of things. Sometimes we get confused and we mess up what the actual purpose and point of the eldership in the church is. They do a lot of stuff in this particular body. You know, they make some decisions here and they watch finances there and they do this kind of thing and they, all that stuff. But what is the goal of the elder in the church? It is to protect the integrity of the word being taught. That is the goal of the eldership in the church. I'm telling you, I have been corrected by elders of your body, and you should love that. You should love the fact that these guys, if there's something here or a problem here or an issue here or something there, they'll call me out and say, look, I'm not sure that's quite what that means in Scripture. You ought to take incredible comfort in that. They don't have any problem calling me out. Luke doesn't have any problem calling me out Uh, if if I mess up or do something, say something I shouldn't say. But that's their goal. That's their job. Now they do other jobs as well. And it's all important. But the job of the the elder is to protect the integrity of the Word. They are the spiritual shepherds of the church. Sometimes they're in the trenches. Sometimes they're not in the trenches. Sometimes they're serving in this ministry. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they do this and do that. But through it all, to make sure that what is taught is true and accurate to the Word. The eldership in this body works as one unit. They do not work individually. They work as one solid unit, a phalanx that cannot be penetrated, to make sure that what is taught is true, that it is practiced correctly, and that they know and understand and feed off one another for the Word of God. Even decisions we make, we bring it to each other, and we always act as a single unit. Um, which is also very, very beneficial for this body. We see this develop, eldership develop, ultimately, if you read through Scripture, as an extension of the apostles, an extension of the apostolic role, at least. Not really the apostles, but the apostolic role, as they went around and established these different church bodies. And this role, by the way, is not just for anyone. You don't wake up in the morning and say, hey, you know what, I don't have anything better to do today, so I'm going to be an elder of the church. I'm going to take it that lightly, I'm going to take it, that cavalier, uh, it, it is a much more serious thing to participate in. First Timothy chapter 3, you've heard this before, uh, 1 through 7, here's a trustworthy saying. Paul writes this way in these letters. Um, it's a unique way that Paul writes. He doesn't write this way in the other letters. Here is a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer, that's just another way of saying it, the elder of the church, desires a noble task. Now, the overseer, here's the main qualification, is above reproach. He's above reproach. In other words, he isn't perfect. We all know he isn't perfect. We all know that elder isn't perfect. But generally speaking, is the dude a good guy? Yeah. Yes, he is. You look at his life. You look at what he teaches. You look at how he carries himself. You look at his family. You look at his priorities. Yep, generally speaking, he's on the level. He is above reproach. Now, all of the rest of this really is there to describe some of the things about being above reproach. Faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. That's one to remember. Not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome. These, some of these things you've got to work at, right? Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do it in a manner worthy of full respect. By the way, if anybody doesn't know how to manage his family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert. He has to have walked this path for a while. He must not be a recent convert. And why? For his own good. Because he might become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Thinking of himself, this pride, you know. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he, well, we don't think about that sometimes, do we? Ah, let, let church be the church, do the church's thing, and who cares what everybody else thinks? No, elders and deacons, and you for that matter, but particularly elders and deacons, they don't have that luxury. They don't have that luxury. They have to do the right thing and make sure that while they're not doing specific things as part of the church, they got to have a good reputation with everybody they come in contact with. It is something to take very, very seriously they got to have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Eldership is not something that people should take lightly. It's something to take very, very seriously. It's a special calling in the church. Some people serve as, as elders and they don't serve any longer. happens all the time. They said, look, I've served many, many years, and my life has changed, such, not, my, not my character, not my morals, but my life has changed such that it's hard for me to fulfill this role, and so I'm going I'm to step down, I'm going to do, do other things as well, serve in different ways in different capacities. Uh, but the elders really are there to protect the integrity of the Word and for you to ask questions of the elders specifically around the Word. You can ask them how to tear apart a 350 and rebuild it. I don't know what kind of answer you're going to get. That's not their job. Their job is to protect the integrity of the Word. Uh, We have elders in this room. We did this in last service. We have elders in this room. If you're an elder in this room, would you please stand up? All right, the rest are skipping church today. We have four of them uh, in here. No, we have the rest of any other service. Uh, I want you to know their faces. I want you to know I want you to know their names. I want you to Brian and Randy and Tommy and Luke. I want you to know uh, that you can approach them that you can ask them and by the way, if you ask them about a piece of scripture, if you ask them about understanding, one of the greatest answers they can give you is i don 't know, but i 'll find out i don 't know, but we 'll put our heads together we 'll ask luke and we 'll find out i' mean, that's, you know right he 's a scholar i 'll tell you he knows scripture. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. Uh, but no, they, 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 they put their heads together They to realize some of these things. Those are the elders in the church. The other thing we have in this church, the way we've structured this church, constructed are teachers. This is an extremely, extreme, don't tune out, because this is an incredibly serious calling, and it needs to be taken seriously. And it doesn't matter whether you're teaching kids or adults, you are entrusted with conveying the word of truth truthfully, accurately and if you're a teacher with the reverence that it demands think about it teachers wield enormous influence yeah a little bit over some adults because we teach adults but they also wield enormous influence over kids. You know, adults can disseminate a little bit. Kids have a hard time doing some of those things. So we're talking about adult teachers and kid teachers. They have an incredible amount of influence, and they need to take the things very, very seriously. The Word puts the role of teacher in its place in James chapter 3. Not many of you should presume to teach, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. And we are talking about, I I like the way, I I study a lot of different commentary, but on this particular one, I like the way MacArthur uh, summarizes this particular verse. He says, this is referring to someone in an official teaching capacity. The word judgment usually expresses a negative capacity in the New Testament. And here, it refers to a future judgment. Number one, for the unbelieving false teacher, we have those those exist in the church throughout time that's something that the elders do to make sure it's taught correctly the unbelieving false teacher at the second coming of christ and number two for the believer when they are rewarded by jesus christ this is not meant to discourage true teachers but to warn the prospective teacher of the role's seriousness and so the qualifications of teaching scripture is not that you're alive and breathing it's much more serious than that You've got to take it serious. You've got to know that this is in eternal charge with eternal consequences good consequences, or if you're a false teacher, bad consequences. All of these things are taken very, very seriously. The teachers are, are, or the elders teach in the church as well, but we have also separate teachers who have taken on this role. Also in the church, we have the deacons, the deacons of the church. Now, deacons are servants of the church. Yet another role that needs to be taken incredibly seriously. And, and the reason this needs to be taken so seriously, if you look through the teachings of Christ from beginning to end, the servant is the highest honor that He gives a person. The servant is the highest honor that Jesus gives one of His followers. The deaconship was chosen in Acts by the church in which they serve, Acts chapter, Acts chapter 6. And those days when the number of disciples was increasing, so the church is growing now, the Hellenistic Jews, that is the Greek uh, Jews, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. This is just something that the church was doing in Jerusalem in that day. They had a, gr- a large group of people, they were handing out some food and making sure everybody had what they needed. Verse verse 2, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, look, we're not teaching anymore. (laughs) All we're doing is this stuff, you know, which is cool. We need to do it. But we're not actually teaching anymore because we're making sure everybody's getting what they need and serving the body and, and, and doing all of these important, wonderful things. They gathered together and they said, look, it's not right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word in order to wait on tables. He said, brothers and sisters, now they could have said, let's stop doing it. But they didn't do that, right? No, this is vital. This service is vital to the body. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And by the way, the word wisdom here is used in the capacity of working. Those able to work and work wisely, those who are filled with wisdom, we will turn the responsibility over to them, and then we will give our attention to prayer, and to the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group, and so they chose a bunch of guys, and you can read about them in verse 5. Verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And by the way, as you go through Scripture, you see a difference in eldership and deaconship. Eldership in Scripture is appointed by the leaders of the church. Deaconship is chosen specifically by the body. Serve in what way? Well, this is where you get the quintessential picture of deacons, and I hope the deacons now are are, are uh, able to be seen for what they actually are. Once again, it's not just for anyone. First Timothy three eight. In the same way, so we just got done talking about the elders, and now he says in the same way. <laughs> so we're talking about the same. We're talking about the same character, same qualifications. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere. Not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. And then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect. Not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife must manage his children household well. All of these things you've probably already read if you go back a few verses looking at eldership. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Please note, though, we see elders and deacons must be one and the same in regards to their character. Really, the only difference you see is teaching. Uh, it, an elder needs to be able and willing to teach inside of the body in which he serves. Uh, however deacons teach all the time. Can they teach? Sure they do. We have deacons teach all the time, so long as they know the seriousness of what they're taking on. But even this isn't the total picture of deaconship. Um, unfortunately, again, churches get into the habit, I think through tr- tradition of relegating deaconship to a too small a role. The, the, their character is to be above reproach, and then that deacon, listen closely now, is meant to serve as the picture of what the minister in Christ looks like. They are meant to serve as the picture of what that minister in Christ looks like. And so it's a challenge to us to make sure that we follow the lead of our deacons, and it's a challenge of our deacons to make sure they follow the lead of Jesus Christ. It's a very, very serious charge if you're going to be a deacon in the church We need that picture in order to lead us, to show us, how do I do this? What do I do in what way? What's the best way, the worst way? How do I accomplish this and manage this ministry for Jesus Christ? Look at the deacon is what we need to say, should say. And I hope that we could say that in our own minds, and our own hearts. We have deacons in the church. We did this in our last service. Uh, If you're a deacon in the church, would you stand up, please? Look at them know who they are, all right, Uh, Jeremy, Ad, Russ, know who they are, know their names, see their faces, talk to them, ask them. They're there to serve as the body of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of times they serve in different ways, in different capacities, all right? Those things, we, we, we do that kind of stuff all the time because there's so many people that are here. And by the way, just because we have deacons doesn't negate the obligation that you have to serve the church and people around you, and that brings us to ministers. Who are the ministers of the church in its truest definition? That's all the rest of us. That's all the rest of us. We are the ministers of the church. Once again, and we do this, we have done this with every one of these, these subjects, it's a definition that gets twisted over time, right? To be a minister, you have to wear a blue suit, red tie, preach on Sunday morning, right? I guess that's, that was the rule, Okay. That's not what a minister by definition is. It's literally someone who engages in service. The ministers are the rest of us, including elders and deacons and teachers. After all, didn't we say last week that you're a royal priest? You're a royal priest. If you accept Jesus, you are called a royal priest. And so you darn well better take on this role of ministering to others minister is not the preacher, it's someone or anyone involved in a ministry. Let's go back to our original verse, just a minute, Ephesians chapter 4, picking up verse 11. So Christ gave Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip His people for works of service. Know that word, service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That word service right there in Greek, that, that, that's, the, that's the Greek word for ministry. Diakonia sounds a lot like deacon, doesn't it? So that's this diakonia. And we look upon the deaconship to see our role as ministers in this church, and all of us are these ministers. Ministry is not necessarily the latest program that the local church has to offer. This ministry is accomplished in many ways, in many different areas, in many different times of your life, all day long if you choose. Here's, here's what I mean by this, and I would ask you to follow this train of thought, okay? I, I can sum up the ministry of all believers in one, wo- one word, regardless of the specific roles that you take on. You ready for this? It's the word charity, charity. Yes, believe it or not, it's the word charity. See, some people think that the word charity, they're asking, wait a minute, charity? You mean give people stuff? Really? That's, that's the extent? That's the extent of the ministerial experience? That's the summation to give people stuff, almsgiving, as it were. No, that's not what I mean when I say charity. That's not what I'm talking about. In fact, I'm not even going to tell you to give people stuff. I'm going to make it a lot harder than that. Charity as the church It's not about giving people stuff. It's about giving people one thing. One thing. And if you take on this one thing, it's going to be extremely difficult. It is this one thing that you decide to do if you are fulfilling your role as a a minister and believer. If you do this one thing, this charity, and you take it on the way you're supposed to, there are moments, church, of extreme joy doing this. And to be honest... We can and certainly be tempted with moments of extreme darkness if we do this. I, 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 I don't want to sugarcoat this. There are moments, if you're actually going to do this, that no one will ever know about, no one will ever see, that bring you to tears. And there are moments that no one will ever see that make you celebrate and rejoice in ways people think you're crazy. I've walked around not thinking anybody's looking, going... Just hearing about something. yes. You will celebrate. Church, if you do this properly, you will be loved for it and you will be hated for it. If you live out the ministry of a believer, you will be remembered for it and you will just as easily be forgotten the next day. Some of those closest to you will not understand what it is you're taking on. It will be impossible for you to explain that there is something inside of you that says, I have to do this. If taken seriously, it is a challenge unlike any challenge you will ever face. Once again, charity is one of those words that's been cheapened. Oh, yeah, the giving of stuff is important. That's fine. The giving of treasure is very important. It helps people. It ministers to people. keeps the heat on in here. The light's on. The door's open. pays my salary. Okay? That's literally uh, that's, 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 that. We don't have some parent church organization that gives us money, which you give. That's what we have. That's it. Okay? And all that stuff's important. It's important to do work in those ways. But charity means much more than that. Charity, in its truest definition, means this love in the Christian sense. Love in the Christian sense. Charity means forgiveness, service, encouragement. Charity means giving, it means mercy, it means teaching. Charity means leading. It means patience. It means sacrifice. Charity means evangelism. It means kindness. It means self control. Charity means discipline. It means not just giving of yourself, but giving yourself. I'll give you a good picture of charity. And this is how it's described charity is not running away in the garden, charity is not calling on a whole legion of angels. Charity means being mocked before the Sanhedrin and the Roman soldiers. That's what charity is. Charity is hoisting your own cross on your back and making that long walk through the streets of Jerusalem. Charity is being stripped naked and laid on that cross while people who hate you drive spikes through your hands and your feet. That's what charity is. Charity is interceding for those very people, asking God to forgive them while they're doing the very thing that you're asking for forgiveness. Charity is giving your spirit into the hands of the Father in the hopes that you may save some. That's the definition of charity. Charity is love in the Christian sense. So why does it get so hard for us? Because what is the ultimate love? John 15, 12-13, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And this is why it's a challenge unlike any other. Because this is not laying down your life once. Just about everybody I know, just about everybody I know, given the proper stakes, would lay down their physical life once. What about laying it down today? And then tomorrow? And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. All the while, I told you this, you could be hated for it. You could be forgotten for it. You want to know what your job is? And we know that this is true because John says later on in 1 John 3, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. We know he's not talking about the physical once in a moment laying down your life. He says this in verse 17 if anyone has material possessions, sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can that lo- the love of God be in that person? This is a lifestyle. We, we, we will not have competitions on who's the best Christian until you lose your life completely and all you are is the physical person walking around that's what the job of the minister is to give their lives day in, day out for other people and I want to tell you something that will rub the wrong way with even some of those closest to you they say I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing And the only answer you have is something in your heart, your mind says, I just have to. I don't know how to do it any other way. It's laying down your life every day. It is the hardest thing you will ever do. Giving all that you are. That's the truth. That's the church. You might say to yourself, well, that's a little different than everything I've ever heard. That's a little different than him. That's a little different than her. That's a little different than my neighbor. You're the church. If you don't want to be different, stop trying to be the church. You are different. You're supposed to be different. Paul sums it up in Romans. Romans chapter 12. Just listen to these words. Fascinating, right? How God says it so much better than we can. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing this, you'll heap some burning coals on his head. Church, do not overcome being overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you for who you are. We thank you, Father, that we can be that good That overcomes evil. I ask, Father, that right now, today, right here, these men, these women, that they look at their life. They look at their purpose. They look at all the evil and the struggle and the ugly and the sad in this world, and they say to themselves, I want to live my purpose. I want to be that beauty. I want to be that brightness, that light in a world that is filled with evil. I want to overcome evil with good. Father, place it upon our hearts, our desire, our minds right now. Do remember on the darkest of days this word charity, what it looks like as we watch Jesus walk down the streets of Jerusalem, your son being hung on the cross, that we might sit around your table one day. Let us follow suit in love and charity. Father, this is your church. Help us to do it right. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.
1: baby born for sacrifice Christ the messiah into our homes into our fears the savior of the world of peace the promise of eternity
0: caroling nailed down by next sunday and i'll let you know when we're going to do that also uh the church is decorated and everybody a lot of people participate in this of course every ship's got to have a captain and that's leslie fitzpatrick she does all this stuff and kind of heads the whole thing up so if you see leslie she may have already left today but if you see her uh just extend some gratitude to her if you would please let's uh let's thank god for our time once again father we thank you we love you for who you are. We love you for what you continue to do right now, today, as, we, as we're as we just reminded of how important, how eternal, how serious uh, your church is and the work of your church. I thank you. I thank you that every one of us in this room does not have to go stumbling through life. Every single one of us has a purpose. We have a mission, a job that we get to do uh, that, that carries with it staggering results staggering uh, uh, ramifications, Father. We thank you for that. We thank you that you help us along the way, that you guide us, that you love us, that you support us, Father. Help us as we leave this place to remember, especially now, but throughout our lives, to be that church and be strong. In Jesus' name.